Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I am deathly ill as we speak right now. That's probably true. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Hey. <laughs> joining us all the way from America, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Unity Church, Lee Younger. I don't feel... Like a hundred percent, and I think I should probably get some sympathy for that. But I, you know, I got like some no. allergies and stuff like that. But otherwise, I'm you know, I'm okay. little, little hay fever. No, no, uh, uh-uh, no. Now, now, actually, Lee, I'm sorry for your hay fever, bro. And and Matt, I was gonna Thanks, bring dude. up. I mean, you sound like maybe you're a little congested, maybe not feeling super great either. I mean, it sounds like uh, none of us are really operating at full capacity. So maybe a little quick yeah. episode, and I think yeah. On that basis, I declare an emergency. <laughs> okay. Is your emergency out of concern for me? No. Oh. Let me tell you what. I'm going to explain how life works. Okay. <laughs> now, is that when a man and a woman love each other very much, and then... That's that's how life begins. Okay. <laughs> <Is that> just... <laughs> I thought we were going to get the phrase special hug again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a different talk, Jed. We, okay. I'll, I've been meaning to have that talk with you. Let's let's, okay. let's table that for later. Maybe okay. three years ago when you got married, but right, now's yeah. as good a time as any, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's what we're saying. Uh, this is how life works, people. There is a finite amount of sympathy and attention in the world. Now, here's what happens. That's the law of the conservation of attention. That's right. Okay. It can neither be created nor destroyed. You know, it's just distributed. Okay. See what I'm saying? Now, the sympathy and attention must fall to the person most sick. Okay. Right. Uh, or the person who is most tired, okay. if it's tiredness, if that's what we're sure. talking about, whatever the thing is. Sure. I am the most sick by far. Okay. I've been sick for this whole past week, miserable, in bed, sick. Sure, sure, sure. Therefore, I should get 100% of the attention and sympathy. Sure. Now, right. I know what you guys are thinking. Wait a second. If I'm, you know, 5% as sick as Glenn is, shouldn't I get 5% of the sympathy and attention? Sure. That makes no logical sense whatsoever. Okay. Okay. Because that is communism. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. So what, what you're describing is sickness, attention, bare knuckle boxing, where it's winner take all. It's survival of the fittest. Okay. Which in this or case means the survival not yeah, the survival of the sickest. It's it's exactly right. It's survival of the sickest. It's it's the invisible hand of the sick person. <laughs> okay, guiding everything towards optimal uh, attention and sympathy to the sick. Okay, okay. But here's what I'm saying though: is can we have a proletariat revolution of sympathy where? If I'm feeling like some congested, if I got problems in the T zone, right, right, and I can't talk and I can't breathe, that somebody somewhere is going to feel sorry for me, especially because talking is part of my job right now. I mean, uh, it's a good point, and a lot of people ask that. I mean, people come up to me on the street, ask me this exact same situation. Okay, that, that is really <laughs> surprising. Literally, it's a very odd life. Of course, got, he does wear a big button that says "Ask me about the way sickness sympathy is." You know, I, I got T zones. I'm I'm dealing with T zone issues. You know, I've got dryness. I got you know, 
you know, it's like, what do I do? How this am I going to become a skin lotion am, commercial? Am, am, I ex, <laughs> am I exfoliating my moisturizing? Where, what's what's do I need to change my entire hydrate, hydrating uh, regimen here? And you know what? Microbeads and everything. People are confused out there. Okay. <laughs> sure. Let's keep this simple. Everybody pay attention to me. I'm sick. Okay. <laughs> That's what we all need to do. Okay. If we do that. Then every, it's, it's all going to work out. You're saying that our attention focused on your illness like a laser beam would have a curative power to it? Well, what happens is it trickles down. Okay. So you're sympathetic with me. Yeah. You're understanding of me. Yeah. And then I receive that and yeah. hoard it <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a large pile. Okay. And then I, I try and keep from giving it to other people as much as possible. Okay. Then every now and then, because of the social situation, I would look worse by withholding with attention than to actually give it. So I'll, I'll be forced to give it, and then it trickles down. Okay. So you kind of invest your sympathy that we've given you, and maybe you pay a much lower sympathy return rate on that. And that's and That's, that's how, capital sympathy tax. That is how that works. Would you describe yourself as an attention creator? I. That's exactly what I am. Okay. I'm an Here's attention I, creator. This is Here's what deep. I want to know about is, what about the 47% of us that are also sick, maybe sometimes as sick as you, it, that's just a hard thing to prove? Well, um, Romney'd. Yeah. Uh, here's what I'm trying to say. Is I feel like right now there's a lot of what if there's a good alternative to not giving Glenn attention and sympathy, and why are we even looking for that? Sure. See what I mean? You're saying that's a, it, that question's on American. It, it, this is yes, because first of all, I'm American, so do the math. It's tradition. Uh, <laughs> second of all. I am sick now. Right. That's what we should all be dealing with now. Do I need to get more sicker? You understand what I'm saying? Right. To get more attention from these people? That's what. How sick does the one little man have to get? Right. Before everyone says, you know what? Let's all just give attention to. And you know what? How dare we have a good time? How dare we? Indeed? Knowing that Glenn is sick. Right. You know what I mean? Right now, people listening to this probably should go into mourning. Yeah, easily. I mean, like, what, are you going to go out and have a good day? Sure, How sign for have... Bridgebox and get your Say That Brandon sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> I mean, uh, how are you going to have a good day knowing I'm going to be miserable? So Here's you... what I want to know is what's the exact correct posture of a Say That listener who wants to show you sympathy whilst listening to this episode? Well, I think... Um, uh, just on the ground and and face down. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? Just down in it. Full morning. Full morning, uh, sackcloth, ashes, wailing, moaning, you know. So you would take it as a personal attack if someone were to go have a good day while listening to this episode. I, you know what? It's basically a slap in the face. Okay. okay. Well, just because, you know, we don't want to give people vague instructions. We want to cover our bases here. Right. You know, we know there are some people that, you know, uh, maybe they go to the coffee shop, get right. themselves like a nice beverage, put in their earbuds and queue up a new episode of Say That. Sometimes they, they eat a scone. Sure. Everyone loves a scone. Right. Um, what should they do? So they got their scone in one hand. Right. 
their latte in the other, right. got their earbuds in, they're right. all queued up to have a good time, but now they know they're in sin right. just by trying to have fun. So right. right now, in this moment in the coffee shop, what should they do to make you, themselves right okay. with Glenn? You spike both of them on the ground. Okay, just throw them down and say, you know, something along the lines of, how dare we all, you know? <laughs> Okay. And then you just go right into the face plant, right do on you, the ground. Do, do you look around at everybody else in the coffee shop and pronounce shame upon them as Ex- well? Of course, you got to denounce everybody else. I mean, you know, how can you be enjoying coffee knowing that people are sick out there? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And speci- not, and not people as much as Glenn. It's really, in this case, it's me. Right. You know. Just for this, the purposes of this scenario. Right. Now, it's not necessary if other people are sick. Just you. Well, in this case, it's me, yes. Right. Well, here, one last question, you know, and I know we're about to touch on something that's one of your favorite subjects, you know, is this podcast is recorded right now, um, but people don't actually hear it right now as we're recording it. You know, they hear it later on in in the future. Right. Now, so... This podcast is not going to be heard for many days. You're sick now, but you may not be sick then. Right. And people, how how will they know whether or not you still need that curative attention as they're listening to this podcast in the future? Now, this is a fantastic question. But see, here's what you're revealing okay. by asking it this way. Is people are, are have an attitude of, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't need to have sympathy. Right. Who's to say? Right. You know what I mean? Because Glenn could be better now. Right. They're looking for any excuse to not give me attention and sympathy. See what I mean? Right. You know what? Here's one thing that could happen. Maybe you give a little sympathy and attention. That's extra. Okay. You know what? Okay. And it's like that goes in the bank. Okay. So next time I'm sick, have some sort of infirmity, you got money in the bank towards that. So does that mean next time you're sick, that person won't have to pay you attention and sympathy at that point? Well, unfortunately, no, uh, because uh, it does kind of... It it depreciates over time, and that's... There's not rollover sympathy. Yeah, it's uh, that's just the market, y'all. It's easier to lose it. Yeah, I I don't, you know, I don't make up the rules here, You're just saying there's no risk in showing you too much sympathy and attention. Yes, that's right. And I want to declare a secondary side emergency. Side emergency. Is that even allowed? Sure. Um, let me tell you what, uh, cause I've been, you know, we, this has been building for weeks and weeks. Okay. Okay. Your sickness? Well, that too. Okay. Uh, and, and maybe this is just that a chip s- in a bottle you insist on building during recording. <laughs> let me, <laughs> let me just say this. And maybe this is a sickness talking. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just going to put it out there. We're going to see You're what on happens. death's door. You've got to get it all off your chest. Thank you. Okay, and I don't want to have I don't want to die without having mentioned this. Okay. But right now in Chicago, the weather is starting to get a little bit warmer, very slowly and whatever, and that means what? Jed leaving the house in flip-flops. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you people watching this show <laughs> on your on your iPod which I don't know why you're watching your iPod because there's nothing to see. Sure. You're going to walk into somebody in this coffee shop and spill your scone. You should look up. Although That's, that could be the mute cute that starts your own particular romantic comedy. So that so, could all so, work out. you know, be careful with that. Here's what I'm trying to say is what you people at home can't see is yeah. that Jed has the most hideously disturbing toes on a human being. That's totally true. 
Um, I would I would describe his toes as something similar to the fingers on the hands of a monkey. <laughs> I would say that, in my opinion, Jed could easily hang upside down on a tree with just his his uh, hairy uh, monkey finger toes. Well, this is like your this is a professional opinion right here. Right. I do kind of have hobbit feet. It's, the, it's true. You know, I'm trying to dispense amazing wisdom. I'm dealing with some form of plague sickness, and I got monkey toes in my just right in my face. Right. I'm dealing with a lot, people. Well, you know what? Just I know you've been wanting to do this for a while, and just so that you know what uh, to help you remember six. I'm just gonna let you get oh, just a better look yeah, at oh, him. Just oh, right there, yeah, right up yeah. on the table. Now, enjoy him. Here's the thing, Make folks. It's an entirely audio show. There's no reason for Jed to take his flip flops off and fling his feet up on the table. That's but he still did. Which I did. There's a certain amount of commitment to the bit, which under other circumstances I would commend, but pretty creeped out in general. I want to close out this discussion of uh, Glenn winning sickness by pointing out that this isn't a bit. Yeah, this no. is the way right. Glenn runs his daily life. Right. Yeah. Um, we just went through a period here at the bridge where uh, Jed was moving and had some other things going on. And uh, two Tuesdays in a row after our bridge service, uh, Glenn looked at him and declared, you know what? I have the goodness of my heart. I'm going to let you be tired. That's right. Because right. normally on serious. Tuesdays, nobody's allowed to be tired but Glenn. That's yeah. right. And if you talk about being tired, you get quite an earful. Yeah. So I just want to point out that uh it's all real what we're handing you here on the say that podcast that's week. right that's right you know uh and on that basis i declare double emergency off all right double emergency off we're all still reeling from jed throwing his feet up on the table i don't know if that'll ever be over you're all welcome you, you can't unsee that no that was pretty disturbing that may be some sort of a podcast health code violation of some yeah. sort you know? sure <laughs> Well, the real beautiful part is uh, Jed's not the most flexible guy on earth, so I think he almost fell out of his chair, flinging his leg up there, and that would have been some real Abbott and Costello stuff right there. Oh, I went for it. I understand. Well, folks, here's the thing. At some point, clearly, Glenn is going to need a uh, transplant of every major organ. That's how sick he is. (laughs) And if you want to fund that, you you can do that via Bridgebox. Please give. Please give. Don't make us go full Sarah McLaughlin on you. We will. Pictures of Glenn looking sad. Slow pan of Glenn behind a chain link fence looking sad at you. We'll do it. For just $8 a month, you can get all of Glenn's blood transfused and replaced (laughs) on a monthly basis so that he'll never die. Isn't that what we all want? So, but for $8 a month, for now, before we need to make Glenn into an android so that he can live forever, what we do with Bridgebox is you get stuff that ministers to you, and the money you pay allows us to minister to people in the inner city, and it's a great deal. There's nowhere on earth that $8 a month is going to get more ministry done top to bottom. You'll get songs, sermons, videos, and lots of cool stuff. You can check that out, sign up at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You can also check out the special Lee Younger branded version missionusa.com slash bbly jed now i heard a rumor that it was possible for me to get like a super cool super exclusive lee younger t-shirt oh that's accurate if you go to missionusa.com slash bbly sign up for 
Rich Boxley Younger, which is a new song from Lee every week, some behind-the-scenes videos, and stuff that he has handpicked from previous Bridge Boxes, you will get the brand-new limited-run Lee Younger t-shirt. You can find pictures yeah. of that on Lee's website. That's LeeYounger.com. There'll be some stuff about that in the uh, the, t- the Tumblr sphere upcoming. Cool shirt, uh, very well-made, soft material. You want to get your hands on that. If you've been waiting to sign up for BridgeBox, now's the time. MissionUSA.com slash BBLY. You want to get both of those things for only $12 a month, you can email me, Matt, at MissionUSA.com. All right, we're going to jump into our questions here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this. First question came in anonymously at our Tumblr. It says, there's this girl in my life who I have similar taste, personality, and humor with. She's a Christian, and she's pursuing Christ just like I am. This is all great, but the problem is that she likes me, but I don't like her. I'm just not physically attracted to her. There's no chemistry there. Is this okay? Am I being shallow? I feel obligated to date some. I feel obligated to date someone just because we have nice conversations, but I also don't want to come across as a jerk. Pretty sure they mean I don't feel obligated. Otherwise, this question would have answered itself. I don't feel obligated to date someone just because we have nice conversations, but I also don't want to come across as a jerk. Any advice, Glenn? Can you start us off? Absolutely. I I think the the first thing that we need to say here is that. You do deserve to be attracted to the person that you go out with. Yep. Sure. That's a that's a fair thing. Um, and, and everybody's got their taste. Everybody has uh, a certain qualities that they like. And um, some people like monkey toes. Um, and you know what? If you've got monkey toes and you meet a woman who can tolerate your toes, even if she needs to shave them down. <laughs> You marry that woman and you 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 let her shave those toes down and you thank God every day. Absolutely. If you've ever wondered why Glenn doesn't get asked to officiate more weddings, it's <laughs> things like that. <laughs> but this is uh, this is a a, a a legitimate concern and it's 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 a fine thing for you to say. Hey, you know, uh, the heart wants what the heart wants, and and uh, you know I have uh, uh, people that I'm attracted to and people that I'm not, and and. Uh, that sense of taste is not something you should have to apologize for, and that's completely fair. Having said that, though, there are a few things we want to look at. If you're not attracted to her solely because of the physical stuff, it is one of those things where you want to kind of take a second look at this deal. Uh, first and foremost, um, it, it's a crude way of, of revealing the truth here, but it's it's an accurate a statement we all look the same when the lights go out yep. uh the that uh, that pretty gal that you're looking at that you don't have anything in common with and you can't be friends with and isn't a good hang is uh is, is gonna be someone you're really bored and sick and tired of pretty quick and the, and the looks aren't going to fix that uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, when we're growing up, our bodies go through changes and we don't look the same way. And, um, sometimes, uh, uh, young, uh, ladies you know, blossom into very attractive women as well. So we want to kind of take that into account as well. But I think it's important to recognize if you're not attracted to her because let's say, for example, maybe she's sort of insecure uh, maybe uh, she has, um, maybe she just doesn't come across uh, as uh, the kind of uh, woman that you want to be dating. That that's kind of one thing, but it's another thing if it's if it's purely physical. Uh, I think sometimes it, there, you know, it's not that that's shallow. It's not that it's wrong, 
But I think it is worth recognizing you may really be depriving yourself of a really good opportunity here. Uh, but the final thing I'll say about that is either way that you decide this, be extremely clear about it. Uh, make a decision. Uh, give it some prayer. Give it some thought. Uh, maybe ask some buddies if you have some buddies that can give you some solid feedback on it. But go to her and tell her clearly what's going on so that she can understand that. Uh, I know that might, particularly if you're rejecting her, I, I know that that might seem like a really painful thing and you, you know, you'd rather put that off if you could, but I think you're better off and she's better off if you can, if you can just put it in front of her and say, uh, I just don't think we'd have the chemistry. I just don't think that uh, we would fit as a couple. I think we're great as friends and that's the way I'd like to keep it. Uh, it's, it's not that I don't think that you're pretty and it's not that, um, that uh, I, I have find you unattractive. It's just, I don't think we would make a good fit. And uh, I think if we, if we are clear with that, <coughs> excuse me, we can keep this from getting into an unhealthy situation. Absolutely. Jed. Definitely back up Glenn on everything you said. The yeah. one thing that I would want to add to it, and, and I hear you, man, I, I really do. Um, the one thing I would want to add to that is um, to ask, are you talking yourself out of a good situation? Um, in, in other words, if you're a young person and a Christian, you know, today, um, you have had so many messages in your life, dating is bad, dating is evil, dating will kill you, dating will eat your family, um, that you're going to be looking for reasons everywhere you go to not date. Um, that's that's going to be the thing that kind of drives your decision-making processes. Can I find a reason? Can I find an excuse to not date in this situation? And I think the thing that you want to ask yourself is, are you giving yourself a reason to not go on a date with this young lady? Um, in other words, if you if you say, hey, um, I think she's a sweet gal and whatnot, but we just, um, we're just not a match and that's all there is to it, that's fine, man. That's no problem. You're not under any kind of obligation to date anybody. Um, but if it's one of these things where you say, you know, um, I think there might be something here, but I don't know and I, I, I feel unsure. And you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm not all that attracted to her. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the problem. I'm just, you know what? Yeah, that's it. It's just if she looked some other way, then it'd be okay, but she doesn't. So probably I don't have to go on a date. Well, if that's the case, um, and, and understand, we've all been there. We've all done that, even if it's not with dating. We've all had things that we kind of felt afraid to do that we found a way to talk ourselves out of doing. If that's the case, then I want to push back on you. You know, one of the things that you've, if you've listened to this podcast a little bit, you've probably heard us talk about before is that it's okay to just go on a casual date. It's okay to, you know, we're going to go get coffee. We're gonna As we once out. described it in a video from Bridgebox, a nice non-sexual cup of coffee. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think if it's possible that you're kind of trying to talk yourself out of something here, then I think it may be worth saying, you know, uh, hey, Susie, I'd love to buy a cup of coffee sometime. I'd like to take you on a date, but just, you know, get to know each other a little bit better and, and just see what we see. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The, the truth about even physical attraction, man, is that um, – uh, first impressions are not the first and last word on stuff. It, it, it's weird to say it, but you can yeah. you can have looked at someone a hundred times, and then you look at them a hundred and first time, you go, "Wow, she's she's really cute." And that's because the way that you perceive people changes as you get to know them. Um, 
you can you can have people that are the conventional view of of beauty where as you get to know them you realize they're just kind of a terrible person and you just can't find them physically attractive even though you know you recognize they have certain features uh and vice versa so that's the thing i'd encourage you to think about i encourage you to pray about is am i talking myself out of something good here if you've looked at it you said look we're just not a match and that's it then no worries man i think glenn is right it's something where you want to be clear but if it's something where we're just talking ourselves out of something good where we're trying we're looking for a reason not to take a bold, courageous step, then I think you want to think again on that and and look at what would an exploratory step look like. Absolutely, Lee. Okay, I I, uh, I agree with these fellows on this stuff, and I, I want to push back on you on some of the stuff that you said, because you start out this question that there's a girl in your life that you have similar tastes, you have similar personality, and you have similar humor with. She's a Christian, and she's pursuing Christ just like I am. Um, this is all great, and at this point, I'm saying, oh, yeah, it is. I'm in total agreement. And then the problem is, she likes me, I don't like her, okay? And then you say, make two statements that you consider to be the same statement, but they're not the same statement. You say, I'm not physically attracted to her. There's no chemistry there. Those are two different things. There is a difference between just pure physical attraction and chemistry with someone that you're in a relationship with. Yep. And we need to talk about what that difference is because it's the, it's the linchpin to, to maybe getting down to the bottom of what this question is about for you, which means if you have, if you have some, if you, if there's a woman in your life that has, uh, that has similar tastes, similar personality, similar sense of humor, and you're both, uh, running after Jesus you know, in, in the same way together, it's like, dang, dude, you, it sounds like you've got chemistry. I mean, if you've got somebody you can laugh with somebody that you can share interests with, and you both are, are pursuing Jesus, like you've got chemistry. Chemistry is the thing that that's the thing. That's the hardest thing to put together. Um, which means by chemistry, we mean I hang out with this person and it's effortless and it's fun and it feels like we're friends and we don't have to like, so, um, what's your favorite band? And you're just like making stuff up to talk about, you know, because it's so excruciatingly boring to be with this person. Whereas physical attraction, you can be physically attracted to people and you have absolutely no chemistry with them. Yeah. And see, that's, there's a huge difference here. Now, um, you look at this question, am I being shallow? Let's, let's take you out of the doghouse on that. I think Glenn's exactly right. There's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be physically attracted to the person that you're being with. But if you have found somebody that loves Jesus, puts up with you, and also you, have, you, you actually do have chemistry with this person, whether or not you understand what that means, and you have chemistry with them, then you definitely owe it to yourself to give this thing a real good swing or two, because um, this is not something you're going to find everywhere. You're not going to find somebody that you actually get along with, you can laugh with, you can be relaxed and be yourself with. Let me, um, let me propose one thing, um, just because I've been in ministry with young people for a long, long time. Is it possible that you have um, a situation in your past with somebody that you were super attracted with and things got really, really physically out of bounds, and now when it comes to dating, you've got a lot of guilt and shame about where things went, and so you don't know how to process any of this. Yep. Um, my guess is that there's something like that in there, just because I've been working with 
young people for a long, long time. And that's what happens. A great thing comes along and they feel like I actually can't give myself the mental and emotional space to, to feel like I deserve this thing because, um, I made such a disaster out of this relationship that I had before. And where I had the physical attraction, then we went completely out of bounds and all this kind of stuff. And now I don't know how to process any of that. Um, If that's what's going on, number one, we need to talk about the grace that's yours. I mean, the forgiveness that's yours just in Jesus. And, And what I would encourage you on this is, is to get together with friends of yours who love Jesus, understand the gospel, or a mentor or somebody else, and, and be real open about whether or not you're still working through some of the guilt and shame of of stuff that you've been through, because we need to get past that so that you can see yourself as a person who deserves a really cool, really fun, really great relationship. Because dude, I'm telling you, um, if you've, if you've found a gal that loves Jesus and is running after Christ and you have a great time hanging out with her, you like the same things, you laugh at the same things, man, you're, you're way down the road on something that every, every, everybody is looking for. And Glenn and Jed are exactly right. The more that you get to know somebody that you have stuff in common with and you do actually have chemistry with, the more beautiful they will get to you every single day. Yep. When you commit your life to somebody and you pour your heart into knowing what it means to love them day in and day out, they get more beautiful to, to you and you get more beautiful to them. It's a really, really cool thing. Um, you're, as these guys are saying, you're not obligated to make this thing work. Um, but I definitely think that we need to understand the difference between attraction and chemistry and maybe give this thing a swing. Absolutely. You heard a lot of good stuff. I'm going to tag a couple of real, real quick points on the end here. Um, one, if you're uh, a slightly younger cat who maybe has grown up uh, in totally in the age of internet pornography, it's entirely possible you have no idea what you're attracted to. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, here's the thing, it ain't what you think it is, because real people don't look like that. Yep. So if, uh, not trying to call you out, not saying there's anything uh, intentionally wrong, you would obviously would never sit down and say, well, I just really want someone who looks like a porn star or a photoshopped image in a, a magazine or whatever, but... If that's a, it's worth taking a good, long, hard look at where your images of what you're attracted to has come from yeah. and whether or not that's something that could be a barrier between you and a real thing. And one other quick thing I'll add on, all these guys said, and it's true, but I want to add a little context to it. It's important to be direct if the conversation comes up. What you don't, you're not obligated to just find this person and go, well, I hear you're really into me and I don't want to put you on suicide to watch or anything, but it's just not going to happen, sweet cheeks. Like... <laughs> That make that would make you a jerk. Yeah. Here's the thing: a lot of in a lot of this Christian stuff, I imagine, especially if you're still in school or maybe around church, it's hard to uh, differentiate uh, what exactly is how how excited this person is about it versus how excited their friends are about it. Yeah. So if uh, if that thing doesn't get if it doesn't get directly addressed, you don't need to directly address it. Yeah. You need to be clear if it comes up, but you're under no obligation to. Um, March up to this person and tell them what the deal is. If they don't, uh, if they don't ask you out, you can, they, it is possible to just kind of let that thing fade off without being a jerk. But as they've all pointed out, if it does come up, you do need to be uh, uh, gentle and direct. That's the way to handle that. All right, we're gonna move on to our next question here. It came in anonymously on our Tumblr. It says, "How do you deal with jealousy in ministry?" I know this is a horrible thing, but I can't help feel jealous or inadequate when others are growing in their walk, getting opportunities, seeing God at work, and I am not. Jed, can you start us off? Well, really appreciate your question, and um, I hear you. Uh, If we're going to be honest, uh, anybody who's been involved, well, really anybody who's been around church stuff 
knows what it's like to be jealous of other people and, you know, to wish that they could be spiritual in the way these other people are and, you know, could bring an anointed word in the way that other people do. Um, and it's a crappy place to be. It, it sucks. Uh, I want to tell you two things uh, on it. The, the first, and this may sound a little strange, but just so you know, um, the stuff that you're jealous of in general is not what you think it is. Um, right. let, me, let me tell you a little bit more about that. In almost every religious thing I've ever been around, and I grew up a preacher's kid, so I've been around a lot of religious stuff, um, there's always kind of celebrities in every culture. Um, you know, they're just uh, the person everybody thinks is neato, and aren't they amazing? And, you know, if only I could be a Christian like them, it sure would be great. Um, and the what you want to do is check back in with that person about five years down the road um, because it's a very, very different story at that point. The, the person who um, gets up on stage and whispers into the microphone that, you know, he wants to burn with glory for the sake of his name um, may not call himself a Christian five years later. Um, that's not something that, um, obviously I'd take any joy in at all, but it's the truth. That happens a lot. Um, a lot of the stuff in Christian culture that gets put out front and gets, uh, you know, everybody says, isn't that amazing? Uh, it's actually, there's not a lot to it and it's not going to last either. Um, I tell that to you just so you know, you're being tempted to be jealous of something that kind of isn't there. Um, you're, you're kind of chasing a phantom. That leads to the second thing, which is, um, what do we do with us? And the thing that we do with us is we build something that is substantial. In other words, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the stuff you're tempted to be jealous of uh, is, is just that. It's uh, smoke and mirrors. It's a, you know, it's, it's a show. What God wants to give you is a life that isn't a show, a life that's real and authentic and substantial, um, that has a, an actual foundation that's that's built on Jesus and will stand the test of time. So how do you do that? And the one thing I'd encourage you to look at, which will completely counteract jealousy, so it's a very powerful medicine for you, is find joy. Figure out what brings you joy, particularly as it relates to serving other people in some capacity, and chase that with everything you've got. But find the joy. That's what you want. Joy and jealousy can't coexist in your brain at the same time. Uh, they, they just, it doesn't work that way. Um, but if you'll find the joy um, and invest in it and go after it, your life will change. Now, what you may find and are almost certain to find is that um, going after the joy, finding that thing where it's just like a bell goes off inside of you and you're like, yeah, I just, I dig this, it probably will not look impressive. Um, it, it, you know, it won't look uh, sexy. It won't look, you know, like something people want to put on the cover of a magazine. It probably will not involve saying the phrase, we just want to, you know, champion the glory of his name. Um, <laughs> but if it brings you joy, that's the only part that matters. If it's something that honors the Lord in some way helps other human beings and it brings you joy, that's it. That's the whole thing. Um, and you can really, the, the, the maximum strength, holiest way to approach this and the way that truly will build a foundation in your life is for you and God to be a team together as you figure out how to go after that sense of joy. So 
where you ask the Lord, Lord, show me where the joy is for me. Show me what brings me joy in um, being a part of the kingdom and serving other people. And then you, you you tell God, here's what I liked about that experience. Here's what I didn't like. Here's what felt weird. Here's what felt exciting but almost overwhelming. Here's what felt um, you know cool. Uh, and Lord, show me what I'm not seeing about that. You know, give me give me wisdom and insight. If if you devote yourself to going after joy again in in some sense of serving other people and let um, uh, talk and listen back and forth with God about uh, how he wants that to be and kind of what excites you and, and new directions and new possibilities, uh, you will have uh, uh, an amazing, amazing, cool adventure of a life, and it won't actually leave room for jealousy. That's that's the thing. Uh, uh, final point before I, I pass this on. Um, <clears throat> What I've described to you is something that's going to take some time to build up, but it, it develops a momentum behind it. If you go after joy, um, joy will not switch on in the next week, um, and it won't switch on in the next two weeks. But as you go after it, you know, in a couple weeks turn into a couple months, that turns into a year, it'll start to have a momentum to it, and it will go in the opposite direction of the stuff that you're jealous of. That stuff will get weaker and flimsier until it falls apart, but as you... Yeah build that sense of joy and that sense of partnership with the Lord in it, that will get stronger and more solid the longer and farther that it goes. Absolutely, Lee. Well, I love the the stuff that Jed said there. And the, the thing that I would add on to this is that one of the things that we find about about the devil is, like when you look in, through the scriptures, one of the things that you see about the devil is that he's boring. He always does the same thing. He has about three tricks. He does them on everybody. It's the same story every single time. It's just really, really tiresome. And what you find as a result of that is that everybody that's caught up in the world stuff, everybody wants to be one thing. There's one fashion that's in. There's one band that's at the top of the charts. There's, there's just, it's like everything in society is just melding into one boring thing. Whereas when you look at, compared to the way that the, compared to the way that the devil works, that when you look at the way that Jesus works in the New Testament, one thing that's beautiful is he's super creative. He never does uh, even the same miracle the, the same way twice. Every person he talks to, he has a different method. Every single situation he gets into, he does a different thing. He's always doing something different. And one of the things that's so cool about this is the more you, more your life gets invested with the, the, with Jesus, the more, the more you walk with him, the more different you're going to become than other people, the more different your story is going to get. And here's the thing is, and this is not just for this question, but for other kinds of things as well. There's nothing, nothing that will make you sad. There's nothing that will sap your joy. The, the stuff that Jed's talking about, there's nothing that will take your joy out faster than comparison. And the more that you compare your life to other people, the more self-destructive your thoughts are going to get. Because the, the whole goal of comparison is... How do I match up to that person? And if we're in a race to be the same thing, are they ahead of me or am I ahead of them? There are some people that I'm ahead and there are some people that I'm behind, but we're all heading towards the same thing. But if I know Jesus, I'm going to be something completely different than you. And you're going to be something completely different from me. One thing that is horrible about comparison is that it's a, it's basically a gigantic liar. It's a basically a complete, an incomplete story. So what, what happens is, is you you start comparing this one thing about your life to somebody else's. They're so good at this ministry. Well, what if you weren't gifted for that ministry? 
You were gifted for something completely different. And so you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be doing your thing, which they have no spiritual gifting for your thing at all. And so Jesus isn't looking for you to be awesome at that. He's calling you into something completely different. And the and and the the funny thing is is that while you're laser focused on this thing that they're awesome at that you suck at, the thing that you can't see is this whole other area of their life that's falling apart. And that's the whole thing about comparison is you start looking at some one like one piece of somebody's life and you don't see the rest of it that's total crap. Yep. Um, there's so many times that I'm, you know, counseling somebody at church or something and they, and they say, well, if I could only be like this person and they don't realize that two weeks ago I was counseling that person and they, their life is totally, totally screwed up in about 37 different areas. But that person I'm talking to today has no idea. They think their life is perfect. Yep. And that's the whole deal is that comparison's a liar because it's an incomplete story. When you try to compare your life to somebody else's, it won't make sense. And it's the perfect trap for the enemy to get you into because your life is not supposed to be like anybody else's. He wants to make everything the same. He uses the same trick over and over again. He's boring. But Jesus is doing something different with every single person so that the more you know him, the more different your life is going to look than anybody else's. You don't compare it to somebody else. You compare it to what is Jesus calling me to? What is he asking of me? What has he gifted me for? That's the only thing that you can really look at. And that's why it's a complete waste of time to compare it to somebody else. And that's why it takes your joy away when you do it. Totally. Glenn? I I agree 100%. I think think the first thing we have to ask along the lines of what Lee is saying here is, do we really want what this other person has? Well, we think we do. We think we do. I mean, we want a part of what they have. Here's, here's this person. They're all popular and famous and they have zillions of dollars and they're on TV and they have a book. I mean, Christians will envy another dude with his face on the cover of a book. Yep. Don't know why. But that's just that they they can get after that. They everybody wants to be everybody wants to have a book. Nobody knows why. <laughs> uh, but this is the thing: is um, do you really want this dude's life? Do you really yeah. want to have what this guy has? I mean, we could sit around all day long and talk about you know mega church pastors and some of these Christian authors and. Uh, and, and they do, they have money to burn while we're struggling to get by financially. They have, uh, all sorts of resources that they could call upon to do all kinds of ministry, but, uh, I wouldn't trade my life for them. (laughs) I mean, I mean that their lives suck so unbelievably bad. It's crazy. Here's the thing. Uh, uh, Jed was talking about joy and uh, jealousy, and I would say the exact same thing is true for love. That yeah. it's hard to be love someone, and be jealous of them at the same time. Now, you can you can have sort of an admiration where you it, there's sort of that drive within you. I want to do what that guy does. And that that can be sort of a semi positive thing, and you can love that person and admire them, and say you know that gives me an itch to rise up to the next level. That's fine. But what we're talking about is a jealousy. I should have it instead yep. of this other person, that kind of mentality. Uh, when we get into that kind of thinking, uh, we're, we're, we're pursuing an almost a 
uh, serious way what we were joking about at the top of the show, this idea that there's a finite amount of attention and focus and sympathy and money and whatever, and it should all go to me. I'm more deserving. But at the end of the day, that's that's not what it's about. I All those guys uh, that are Christian celebrities, quote unquote, and uh, most of them, I, I'm around enough of those guys and know enough of them personally uh, to know I wouldn't want their life. I wouldn't want their job. I wouldn't want to trade places with them. And, and, and they'd rather trade places with me, in fact. Well, we have a couple of guys, not to name names, who are Christian celebrities and come to the bridge on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. And they walk in there with that look of, you wouldn't believe what I have to put up yeah. with out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Absolutely mean, right. just, you know, kind of said, hold me. Right, yeah. Look as they walk <laughs> yeah. into that room. Yeah, this is as good as it gets and whatever have you. So, yeah, we, we you can be envious of a certain element uh, that someone else has, but you, you can't, I can't pick and choose. That's the kind of not how life works. The second thing I think you got to ask yourself is, let's say you do admire someone more than you're jealous of them. Uh, you look up to him and like I said, you have that itch, that drive. I want to do what that guy does and I want to do it as good as he does it because I think what he's doing is legit and good. You know, it's not the attention that he has that I covet. It's not the fame that he has that I covet. It's just that he seems to have it together, do quality ministry, all that good stuff. I want to I want to be that guy. Uh, if that's the case, I think the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to learn? Uh-oh. Uh, because by and large, those guys would be happy to tell you some stuff about that. Uh, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you really would not believe uh, how little certain types of people will come to me for help. You know, yep. Inner city pastors, yes. Um, uh, pe- people uh, you know, who are trying to start new ministries that have done other missions type ministries, that they maybe they want to do some, something more urban. Uh, those kind of people often ask us for help, uh, but there's certain kinds of people they they're really in it to boost their own ego, and to admit that they need help would would sort of ruin the whole thing. So they can't rise up on the basis of someone else's wisdom because then they have to give that credit to someone else. So if if there isn't that humility and willing to learn from someone, that maybe that's giving you an indication the whole thing's got to go. Final point I'd make is. Are you willing to wait for real ministry results? Okay. If you're doing good quality discipleship type ministry where you're really investing in people's lives, that seed gets planted deep and it takes a minute for that to grow and bear fruit. Uh For months, weeks, sometimes even years, it doesn't look like anything to anybody else, but you can see what's going on there and you could know it Everyone else may not see that, but you, you you know in your heart of hearts, this person's coming around. This person's, it, it, you know, it may not look pretty, but it's real. And so uh, you, you, you can see this person growing. And if you've got a youth group or if you have a church or whatever it is where you have a room full of those people, it may not look like much to anybody else. Uh, and you want to get those numbers in there. I mean, numbers really messes with people's heads. And again, that's a justification. I would feel like I like I'm doing something legit if I got enough people in this room. When I part of my job for the ministry is to go and visit churches on Sunday to screen them to see if they would participate in our uh, weekly service. Now, Glenn, we had like three times as many people here last week. I wish you'd come last week. We had a lot of people here last week. Every single week, they say we had more people here last week. Every single week, some pastor tells me that. Now. 
Maybe. Now, at no point do you ask them anything about their I numbers. I don't need to know. And here's the thing is many times I've told them I would rather plug my guys into a smaller church. Don't brag like you got more coming because that's <laughs> you're only working against yourself, you know. But there, there's that sense of the legitimacy that uh, comes out of numbers. Uh, good ministry results take time. So uh, if you've got the willingness to wait for that, uh, don't be jealous of someone's uh, sort of falsely manufactured numbers because that's going to come to an end. That's absolutely great point. I think one of the, the themes you're hearing come up here, which I think is a very good thing, is you got to be careful what you're going after. And as we, t- we talk about this in a lot of avenues of life, results are a bad goal. Okay. If you look at what someone else is doing and say, I want, as Glenn's talking about, I want to have that many people or I want to be that popular, all that, that's, you don't really have control over that unless you have a, as we talked yeah. about in previous episodes, unless you have a multi billion dollar budget, you can't just will that into existence. You know, you talk about these things in your question, um, uh, people growing in their walk, seeing God at work, all that, that stuff, you could, you can just do that. It may not look like too much, but you, there are things you can just effort after. You say, I want to be more faithful in this ministry. I want to take more risks. I want to, as Glenn's saying, learn how to do these things. Those are all things you have control over. And if you focus on those things as opposed to, I want this and that result, you're going to be a lot happier in the long run. Let's move to our last question here. It came in anonymously to our Tumblr box. It says, what exactly was the old covenant and what exactly is the new covenant? I've been trying to do my own research, but they all say stuff about the difference between the two and what they what they mean, how things have been fulfilled and all that, but none of my resources actually explain what it actually is. I know a covenant is an agreement or a promise between two parties, so what was promised in the old covenant and what is promised in the new covenant? Lee, can you kick us off? Sure. Um, I'm guessing that usually on the podcast, for those of you who listen, whenever we have a more theological question, we make Glenn do all the boring theological thinky head stuff. But he's feeling really terrible, so I as I volunteered his tribute to take that off of his shoulders in, wow. in my effort to show sympathy. Linus Everdeen. <laughs> That's two hundred percent more Hunger Games references than I'm comfortable having on my podcast. But go ahead. <laughs> may the um, uh, may the Spurgeon be ever in your favor. <laughs> Lord. Oh, well played. Well. Um, yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, in the in the Old Testament, there are there are actually several uh, covenants or these serious binding legal agreements that God makes with people. Uh, he makes one to Noah. He makes one to Abraham. He makes one actually. He he and then he makes an agreement with Moses. Now, usually when people are talking about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, they're talking about this covenant, this agreement that God made with Moses. So God's people had been in uh, slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and then God sends Moses to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. They get, you know, that's when the the uh, the ten plagues, kind of mocking the Egyptian gods, happen, and then they they leave Egypt. They leave bondage on the night of the original Passover, and then they go through the you know God. You know, splits the Red Sea. They go through Pharaoh's army is drowned, and and then they they basically they they take three days to hike into the wilderness to this mountain called Sinai, and on this mountain, 
God, uh, you know, God appears to Moses. Moses goes up on this mountain, and he gives, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And basically, he says, "Okay, I'm going to take you to this land, and I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be this is my land, and I'm giving it to you for your for this for this people for the rest of forever. And if you're going to live in my land and be my people, then I want you to live in a certain way. Can you do it?" And all the people said, "Yes, we can." And he said, "Okay, well, th- these are my rules." And he gives him these. These the Ten Commandments. He gives them other, you know, a bunch of other, you know, laws and commands and rules and stuff like that. And he says, "Will you be my people? And will you follow these things?" Yes, we will. And he says, "Okay, if you will, then I will bless the land. And if you won't, then these curses will fall and all this kind of stuff." And 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 then you know, if you sin, then what you have to do is you have to kill an animal and you have to bring it to this tent and there has to be a ceremony and that's the animal's going to die in your place to to pay for your wrong and all this kind of stuff. And all the people said, we can do it. We're going to do this thing. Well, so for, for a long time, for like 1500 years, they had this old system and the whole time that they had it and they had prophets coming in saying, this isn't working. And none of the people are following any of the rules and we're all screwed up and we can't keep these rules. And then, uh, and God is going to replace this, this agreement, this covenant with a new one where he's not going to write the laws on tablets of stone. He's going to write the laws on our hearts. And every single person is going to have God inside his own heart, telling him how to live and everything. And basically the New Testament says when Jesus came, he enacted the new covenant. And the new deal is it's not one of those things where you try to keep the rules and if you don't, you're cursed. And if you do, you're blessed. The new covenant is Jesus pays for all your wrong. He's the, the perfect sacrifice that takes your place. You are completely and utterly and totally forgiven. And and he actually says in the New Testament, Paul actually says that the reason that God gave the old covenant, the old agreement, was not so that people would do it because they never could. But the reason he gave the old one was to show us how much we needed the new one, was to show us we never could keep it. We never could keep rules. We never could follow God. So he gave us the new one where Jesus takes our place. He pays for everything. The old deal is you do your part. I'll do my part, says God. The new covenant, the new agreement is God says, I pay for everything. You pay for nothing. All you have to do is simply receive my love, my acceptance, my forgiveness. You're part of my family. I'm going to bless you even if you don't deserve it. You're, we are a family now. And it's all covered, all paid for. And so that's what we're talking about. That's kind of the boring theological stuff about the difference between the old covenant of Moses and the new covenant of, of the blood of Jesus. So having uh, taken that heavy burden off of the, the shoulders of <laughs> sick Glenn, I'll now pass it on. Glenn? Wow. Um, it, I liked how at the end he, he sort of held the three fingers up in, in the yeah. salute of the thing. That was pretty uh, <laughs> pretty amazing. Yeah, if I could try to simplify this in any way, and and sometimes this stuff can can be complicated and hard to simplify. But if I were to try and do that, it, the, the simplest way I can think of to, to describe this is we're talking about how to be on good terms with God. Uh, that's what the old covenant was about. Do this, follow the law in order to be in good terms with God. Uh, when Jesus came, he said, I'm giving you a, a new covenant. Uh, when when uh, the Passover meal happened, he uh, got out the 
glass of wine. And he said, this is, this is a new covenant in my blood. He's saying, uh, whereas you used to sacrifice uh, a lamb and that was, that was what you did uh, to pay for your sins, now I am going to be that lamb of sacrifice and my blood is going to be the thing that pays for your sins. So I'm bringing on a new covenant. So everything's new. Um, and that's an important part of this to grasp. Hebrews 8.13 says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Um, Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important, because uh, Christians really, I don't think they've all gotten the memo on this new covenant. What? Because uh, here's the thing, um, in terms of how do you be on in, in good terms with God, the old covenant was follow a bunch of rules, which, as Lee pointed out, we proved that we couldn't really follow. So that's not what you call a really super fun covenant. The new covenant is Jesus. Super fun covenant hover is my favorite Japanese game show. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun covenant time. Uh, you know, well done. Uh, so uh, here's what happens is uh, with the new covenant, uh, Jesus pays for all of our sins so that we live in this new way. And uh, Lee hinted at this, but let's read this verse here. Uh, this is, I'm in Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. The way in which we get on good terms with God is we accept that sacrifice from God and we enter into a relationship with him. And the nature of that relationship is he's our savior because he just saved our uh, souls and saved us from the penalty of our sin. Uh, but the, the other part of that relationship we have with him is he's Lord. We're accepting his lordship, his authority. So being led by the Spirit means acknowledging that the Spirit knows better than you, and, and acknowledging that you need the wisdom the Spirit has, that you don't have that within yourself, uh, to acknowledge there's a, a, a being in the universe with infinitely more wisdom than you. Uh, <laughs> I'm describing something a lot of people don't really fully believe in, but that's we have to acknowledge that that's true. Uh, so that living in this new way where we're led by the Spirit means that um, that uh, everything kind of becomes about the Holy Spirit working within us to discern things, to understand a sense of what's, you know, what 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 is good stuff and what's not good stuff. I mean, this guy's mm-hmm. preaching something that sounds like hate and it sounds negative and it sounds mean, but it, it's technically in the Bible. Can I let the Lord kind of give me a nudging in my spirit one way or another on that? And just maybe I don't know right now where that's going, but can can I be led by God in that moment? I you know that's what I'm looking to do. Let's say you know I go and uh, pick up a book on the Christian bookstore shelf, and 
you know, there's just something about it that rings funny to me, and I, I want to be sensitive to that. Does, it, does that mean that this is maybe something super important I should pay attention to? Does it mean this is kind of shady and I need to drop it like a hot rock? I, want, I need to understand that. I need to have a greater sense of discernment. I want to be led directly by the Spirit. A lot of the struggle that takes place over the course of the Old Testament over to the New is God trying to be in charge uh, and us wanting earthly kings and us, uh, you know, sort of demanding all of this um, uh, uh, system of authority rather than allowing God to lead us in our lives. So I think when when we're dealing with this old covenant versus new covenant, uh, it's not real tough to understand what it means. What's really tough is letting go of that legalistic view of things that we have that's really part of an old covenant that doesn't exist anymore. Absolutely, Jed. Well, both uh, Glenn and Lee have uh, broken the stand for you real well. So here's the thing um, that um, I'd like to add is I love this question, and I love two separate parts of it. The first is I love that um, you've got people you know, around you using you know, big spiritual words, uh, that, and you don't know what they mean, and you decide, I need to figure out what this means. That's awesome. Here's yeah. the thing. Uh, nobody is born knowing all this stuff. Um, particularly if you got saved and got involved with this Jesus thing, you know, uh, later on, in other words, you, you didn't start going to church when you were five years old or whatever, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's new to you. And I love, uh, for the person that wrote in this question, I love that you decided I'm going to figure this thing out. That's awesome. Uh, keep doing that. If you're new to this Jesus thing, um, uh, don't let yourself get embarrassed. You know, take it a piece of time and say, I'm going to learn, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to dive in and see what the deal is. I'm going to take it a little piece at a time. That's just right. That's great. Here's the other thing that you did here that I think is awesome is you decided I'm going to get into this and see, and then you're honest, you know what, I'm reading a lot of stuff and talking to a lot of people, but they're not actually breaking it down for me. Um, there, you know, uh, is not really helping me and I need somebody that's going to actually break it down for me. See, that's really, really smart and really, really good. Not giving up until you have a good understanding of what the deal is. Something that you heard Lee do and something that you heard, uh, Glenn do is they broke down your question in a really simple way. Here's why that's important. If you can't explain something in simple terms, you probably don't understand it. Amen. Yep. So if you ask somebody, you know, what is, um, you know, uh, what does the Trinity mean? And if you get a 30-minute explanation um, that involves a lot of uh, uh, words in, you know, uh, ancient languages and whatnot, and you walk away more confused than you started, here's the thing, they don't actually know. That's that's what that actually means. Right. It's 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 not that you don't know. It's it's actually that they don't know either, and they're they're not willing to tell you that. So what you want to look for, and, and Lee and Glenn both did a really good job of this, is look for somebody that can always break things down in simple terms. That's what you want. Someone that can do that. They actually understand the material. They actually understand what they're talking about. And once you understand it in simple terms, now you can explain it to somebody else too. But that's the goal. That's the deal. Really proud of you for your attitude and taking ownership of your walk and figuring out, you know, how to learn stuff and how to not settle on that, how to make sure that you understand what the deal is. Keep doing that. We're proud of you. It's going to hold you in good stead. It's absolutely right. I want to just uh, hop on that for just a second and point out that uh, is this something Glenn said on his blog, which is pretty popular? Yes, it 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 is quite popular. A couple of times, and it's something we take to heart in our ministry around here. There there are no complicated concepts in the basic theology of Christianity. Yeah, 
living out is complicated. You can get into some complicated stuff if you go deep enough. But the stuff you actually need to know to understand what it means to walk with Jesus. And the Old New Covenant is one of those things. None of that is complicated. So as Jed's pointing out, if someone is trying to make that complicated in order to make themselves seem more um, impressive, that's a problem. It is your. We've been talking a lot recently about kind of the role of mentors and pastors and stuff in your life. It is their job to explain something to you in a way in which you understand it. Yeah. It is not your job to come to their explanation. So if you have a question for us, you can write us, say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridge Remember, you can sign up for our bridge box service, missionusa.com slash bridge box, or you can sign up for the special Lee Younger version of that and get your brand new limited run. Uh, Lee Younger t-shirt, missionusa.com slash BBLY, or you can email me, Matt at missionusa.com to get the super secret link to get both of those for only $12 a month and normally $8 a month separate. All the money you give to Bridgebox or Bridgebox Lee Younger goes directly to fund ministry that we do in our respective area. <laughs>